0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the
1: all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details.
0: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is
2: caught for the win! Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B. Welcome back to another episode of PAX, what she said. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by the light of my life, um, I don't know, the center of my orbit, Perry Goldstein, and we today have an exceptionally special guest. Uh, we refer to him lovingly as the godfather of the Pack-A-Day podcast. He is a writer and editor for the Packer Report. Um, he does work with uh, Pro Football Network. Um, he's part of Green Bay Nation. The list goes on. The accolades pile up. He is the one and only Andy Herman. Andy, thank you so much for coming on. Pack's what she said to talk Packers with us today. I
1: am so incredibly excited. Thank you so much for that intro, by the way. Um, I basically forced myself and I said, I'm coming on this podcast. You guys don't have a choice uh, because I wanted to hang with the cool kids. So thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, we're happy to have you. You are welcome anytime. It was not a force. It was a mutual decision that that made sense for us
1: all right I appreciate
2: that <laughs> yeah we have like a very exclusive list of people that we're trying to get on the show and you were you were definitely in the top two and you weren't number two of people that we were trying to get on the <laughs> show <so. laughs>
1: you need to create better lists going forward <laughs> more of this story but I appreciate it it's awesome to be on
2: yeah so we have You know, lots to talk about. There's a lot happening right now in the NFL landscape, uh, but also the college football landscape, which is, you know, kind of the bigger picture um, that we wanted to talk about on today's show. But that will kind of, you know, it's going to create a snowball effect. Whatever happens with college football will impact the combine. It'll impact the draft. It'll impact undrafted free agents this year, next year. Um, So that's kind of where we wanted to get started today. Andy, I don't know if you have any specific thoughts on kind of the college football landscape in general with everything going on with the statement that the players released. But uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think that it's, you know, some conferences will go forward and some will sit out? I mean, what does it look like to you?
1: Yeah, so all you can quote me on this. Uh, I'll go on record as saying it sucks. <laughs> the whole thing, everything sucks. You know, so you know, first and foremost, I feel bad for the college athletes, especially those who potentially would have been playing in their last season. You know, and especially those, honestly, that weren't going to be going forward to the NFL or weren't, you know, in a premier conference or expected to be a first or second round pick. Like those are the players that had a lot to prove, or maybe were just playing football for the last time. Um, I really feel for that. You know, I just think that's a huge bummer. This always, and I know that there's been a lot of like, talk about people in the media wanting it to be like, Oh, told you. So there's never going to be football. And now I'm celebrating, like, I don't know about you guys. I haven't seen any victory laps done by anyone saying I told you so, or um, I'm so excited that college football is now canceled. Surprise, surprise. But um, college football to me, not playing a little bit seemed inevitable and I can totally get and understand why for-profit organizations like the NFL, NBA, NHL, and all those, not that college football isn't a for-profit organization. That's another topic for another day. But mm-hmm. you know, and the, where the players are getting paid and everything like that, where they're going through, because it is a financial living choice for those athletes if, if they want to play or not. It's obviously a massive billion dollar industry for the NFL. I get them trying to do everything in their power to play. I just think it's a totally different degree when you talk about college athletes. So um, while I was always hopeful, and I was hoping that I was wrong, um, it, it seemed a little bit inevitable that it, something was going to happen. And I still feel that way with the, you know, the, the conferences that have said that they're going to wait until spring. I'm hopeful. I would love for things to be better in spring. I would love for them to be able to play. I think Barry Alvarez was at least wise when he came out and said that if they do play in spring, they're looking to play maybe six or eight games at most because they know that student athletes aren't going to be able to play a 12-game schedule in spring and then go to fall and do the same thing in the same calendar year. So at least there's some thought process there. Um, But I'm really interested to see what's going to happen in the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC to see if they follow suit you know, different parts of the country, uh, different people uh, feel differently about this entire pandemic. Um, Also another topic for another day, probably on what she said, but, uh, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens. I would love as a spectator to be watching college football. I would love as a draft, uh, you know, connoisseur uh, to, you know, really be able to watch some of these players on tape, but it is what it is. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how everything else shakes out.
2: Yeah, I definitely had like a short list of players that I was really excited to kind of see um, throughout, you know, this season going into the draft. And now that we likely are not going to be watching a lot of those guys, there are so many things that it impacts. It really is like that domino effect where, um, you know, is the tape that these players have already put out enough for a guy like Trevor Lawrence? Absolutely. It is, you know, he was likely going first overall or in the top five, regardless of whether or not he played this season. So, you know, some of these guys don't really necessarily have to worry, despite making the statement that they do still want to play, but, you know, you talk about the guys that are maybe vying for a day three selection in the draft. This is kind of when all of that shakes out, especially the players that are trying to bounce back from an injury. So, you know, there's a lot there. And to the people that are taking victory laps, you know, save that for when you are winning a video game or you successfully do something, you know, don't save it for uh trying to promote your own agenda when there's people dying that's you know it's just it's such a weak thing to be excited about the fact that you were correct right like you or know fun. people are losing loved ones so congratulations that you predicted the pandemic would last longer than we all wanted it to like yeah. awesome
0: i think too like it's college football being is just a consequence of our inability to pandemic and To me, like Andy said, you know, the NFL, the NHL, they can do things to keep their players safe, but these college athletes, they're not just there to play football. They're there to be a student and they're mixing in with other students and going to classes. And I don't know about you all, but. I like my younger sister is in college and she's remote completely first semester because it's not safe to go back to school. And so if it's not safe to go back to school, why is it safe to play college football? Um, right. And the reason being is because like Andy mentioned, there is some monetary value to these players playing, but I think it's come down to the fact like at what cost and it's just the safety of themselves, their families and other students on campus is not worth it. Um, and it's no one's fault really except for the people who were put in charge to to keep us all safe and that's not the college athletes and it's not the coaches making these decisions so now we just have to deal with what this means for them as players them as draft prospects and then what it means for them once you know they do make it to the nfl
1: And I'm hopeful, too, that they're going to be able to do something in spring, even if there's not football um, in in fall or spring. I'm hoping they're going to be able to do something where, you know, maybe by that time, you know, the senior bowl is able to do something where they bring in not only seniors, but anyone that's draft eligible. Maybe make four teams, maybe make it a a four team tournament or maybe, you know, do something that you can get these players even just practicing and on the field um, and, and do some things like that that would allow you know, scouts to be able to watch these players, these players to be able to get on the field a little bit. Um, I'm sure there'd have to be, some level of you know trying to figure that out too because the players haven't played in you know since the previous college football season um, and now we're trying to get ready for you know a a tournament or even a a single game um, you're gonna have to really make sure that you're in game shape and that you're not going to tear anything right before the draft and things like that too but I'm hoping they can figure out something like that Um, I know there's already been some chatter about additional like combines and additional like regional area tryout type stuff and I'm hoping they're going to be able to get creative with some of that stuff and, you know, really give a lot of those players, especially some of those fringe players an opportunity to go out and prove themselves, you know, m- maybe have, you know, two combines, you know, the, th- th- that's probably a smart thing to do to maybe separate things out. So there's not as many people um, and in one weekend anyway, but um, you know, you have potentially all spring now to, to figure some of that out. So I think if they can get some of those logistics down and, and do some of that, hopefully it'll be advantageous to the players and for the teams and the scouts that really need to do some extra homework to make sure that they're obviously drafting the right people come next April.
0: Yeah. Andy, I'm wondering what you think about, like, let's say certain conferences we already know have canceled for the fall Let's say they do the spring. Let's say there are conferences who go through with the fall, whatever that looks like. I don't know. Like, what does that mean for the players? Like if they get to play in the fall, do they have a greater advantage than players who play in the spring? And sort of what does that look like? I, I just I wonder how the NFL sort of takes that into account. Like there's just more tape on these players. It feels like they have a leg up to no one's fault. But
1: yeah. I mean I think it's completely circumstantial. So, you know, you could take a position like running back and a lot of times you don't want to see a lot of wear and tear on their body like the less carries that they have um sometimes the better. So if they have good tape already and they're a great athlete, you know, the fact that they may only have a couple hundred carries on their body already uh, could actually be an advantage. Um you know, I think there's other players who um, you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum so far. But a player like Joe Burrow, who was probably going to be a fourth or fifth round pick, had it not been for a massive breakout season, um, you look at him and you could say, you know, it would have been a massive disservice to him if he didn't get to play that year. You could almost look at it the exact opposite for Jordan Love, right? So, if all of a sudden last year didn't exist and you were just going off of his sophomore tape, and then there was a pandemic, and then he was drafted, like he honestly probably would have went much higher because it was only good tape on him and. Um, Trey Lance is a, in a very similar situation where he had one phenomenal season for North Dakota State, and you know I'm sure scouts would have loved to you know see a little bit more of him, uh, but now you only have good tape of him. So I think it's really circumstantial on the player. Again, I think it hurts probably some of those unknowns a little bit more. Um, I'll stick at the quarterback uh, position. Um, ben DiNucci. Uh, I talked about this uh, as uh, with Tony Pauline on our Wednesday shows for Pro Football Network. Um, He was a player uh, that got drafted in the seventh round by the Cowboys this last year. Not only was he not graded by teams going into the last season, he wasn't even on radars. Like nobody knew who he was. Nobody talked about him. Small school kid goes out and absolutely crushes it his last year, ends up being a seventh round pick for the Cowboys. He would not, he would not have even got a tryout in the NFL I don't think uh, had it not been for last season so um, there are absolutely going to be players like that that fall through the cracks which is unfortunate to say the least but um, like I said other players it it could potentially uh, be to their advantage just dependent on what position they play and what they have on tape so far.
2: Yeah I really like that you mentioned the senior bowl because Jim Nagy does such a phenomenal job each season kind of orchestrating that bringing in guys making sure that players are getting a fair shake and he does such a good job promoting these guys and kind of putting them on people's radars maybe had they not been there previously so when you mentioned you know having maybe an expanded senior bowl or kind of opening that up to the draft process like in in partnership with a combine or various combines you know I think these are the kind of things that you know, the Big 12, all the different conferences will have to think about whether it's you bubble by conference and there's a, a different, you know, say combine per conference. And I think kind of what I'm going to be looking at these next couple of weeks is what happens with the NBA now that they're expanding their bubble, right? Like they're inviting in families and friends into this bubble to get ready for the NBA playoffs and it had worked so well up to this point. So now, now that they're, you know, quote on bursting the bubble and bringing in more people, what does that do? And again, we you know we talk about with college athletes or specifically football, there's so many players it takes to make a team run that the bubbles are expansive and gigantic. And it seems almost improbable to figure out a way to safely play the sport in a bubble. So, you know, you can't really do that but kind of creating these regional opportunities for players. I think that that's something that the league is going to have to consider, whether it's, um, you know, and Perry and I joked about this a couple of weeks ago on PAX, what she said, where they should have a bubble of NFL ready players, you know, whether it's a Tremont Williams, Mike that's Daniels, good. before he got picked up by the Bengals, the XFL made it work with their team nine or whatever it was called, uh, where there was just a reserve of healthy players. And mm-hmm. it's, you wondering what that kind of is going to look like in the collegiate environment. Now, if there is no football to fall back on.
1: Yeah, no, I love that idea. I, th- I think there absolutely should be, I guess they've relaxed it a little bit now in the NFL where you couldn't have player tryouts, but if that was going to be something that lasted for the entire season um, you know, I, I went back and I, I talked about this uh, last week and um, I talk on so many things now. I forget which one <laughs> actually that I talked on. I think it was the podcast where, um, and Perry, I think yeah, you and I and, and Alex talked about this. Of you know what happens if your long snapper, kicker, or or punter goes down right before. Uh, you know, the game or or something like that, where you can't get a player in the building because it takes five days to get them through protocols and stuff. So in that situation, having a team of, or, you know, a a bubble group of 150 players who are already tested, approved, ready to go that all that, you know, that they just need to travel to the team and go play. um, That makes a ton of sense, but all of those logistical things are going to be really interesting to see. And I think the most creative teams I think the ones that are thinking of all of these scenarios ahead of time um, I think are really going to be the ones that are at the advantage and going back I I was so surprised when I heard the thing about the NBA today just because it's been working so perfectly and now you're heading into the playoffs (laughs) and you want to introduce variables like at that point now I in, in some ways I understand in the fact that They've basically figured out how to get people in and out of the bubble and make it safe. And they know that the bubble, once you're there, is safe. So they're basically kicking out, what, eight, seven, six, I don't know, six teams that are being eliminated from the playoffs with all their staff and players and everything like that. So the amount of people that are in the bubble is probably staying somewhere near the same. But it still was so surprising to me that they would make that decision with the the way things have been going so well.
0: Yeah. And it's, it, it's curious that you say you think the team that gets the most creative will probably last like the longest in this situation, because the other day in Goud's press conference, somebody asked him about, you know, scouting and the draft and the combine and whether they've thought about any sort of backup contingency plans. And, and he had said that this is actually something that they've been planning for a little bit ever since, you know, the pandemic started really rearing its head. And, they've been kind of looking forward to the possibility that it might be more difficult and it sounds to me like they are going to be doing a lot more regional based scouting and that just that he's been thinking about it I'm wondering if you've heard any more details or kind of what you think about just the fact in general that they seem to have a plan in place
1: yeah and this was something that was talked about a little bit prior to even this last draft where you know a lot of the Pro days got canceled and things like that. And um, I I think one of the expectations going into the last draft is the GMs who have a scouting background and really rely a lot on the tape and maybe not so much on some of the analytics and some of those sort of things are really going to be the ones that are at an advantage. And I think Green Bay is a team that because, you know, Brian Gutekunst came up through the scouting ranks and Milt Hendrickson and they have such a strong staff of, of scouts and people who can break down the tape really well. Um, that I think that kind of puts Green Bay in an advantage in that regards where, you know, maybe you actually get rid of some of the noise sometimes where you're not, you know, focusing so much on maybe one bad interview during the combine or one bad 40 score or, or things like that. And you're just looking at the tape and saying... Is, is this somebody that I want on my team or not? And again, I think um, I think that's going to come into play, especially when you haven't had potentially a full season for some of these players to go back to. I think looking at them and what they did the previous season, and then um, hopefully having some of these regional combines or just a, the the bigger combine and being able to analyze that. I think those are all things that are going to go into it. But I think ultimately, Green Bay's structure is is set up well to be able to handle that. And obviously the fact that Gutekunst is already aware and planning and which is exactly what you would expect, but I think it's a very good sign as well.
2: Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit on Packaday when we did the tight ends show where regardless of how many players you think that the Packers will be keeping at a specific position. So I think most of us think it'll be three or four tight ends. I'm leaning towards four personally, you know, having a guy like Evan Bayless who played a couple games on your active roster, even though he didn't stick he has so much experience now knowing the playbook. He's stuck on the practice practice squad for a couple seasons. He's been on the scout team. Those are the kind of players that you're going to see on these 16-man practice squads now because at any moment, whether it's a Jay Sternberger, who we know is already on the COVID list, whether or not he actually has COVID, if something were to happen to Josiah DeGuara, Mercedes Lewis, you have somebody in Evan Bayless who is literally ready to come in and immediately play. So I think Andy actually wrote about this recently, right, where it was these depth positions are going to become so incredibly vital because if you have a Darius and Preston Smith, you're pretty confident if something happens to one of them. Rashawn Gary can make that leap, right? But, you know, with a swing tackle or maybe a position that's kind of not solidified yet on the roster, this depth, we saw it happen with the Packers in 2010 when they won the Super Bowl. Like, they had a sustainable roster, they was able to get them through the season despite having some really big injuries throughout the season so I think that same kind of thing will be in place here whether it's on the initial 53 or on the you know expanded practice squad but just finding the players who will be able to fill in is going to be incredibly important regardless of which teams kind of make it towards the end of the season.
1: Yeah, the, the article I wrote was, you know, focused specifically on versatility and how some of these players being able to play multiple positions can really help out this season. But to your point, like I look at a player that they just picked up a, in John Lovett, and I know some people are kind of excited about him and things like that. The odds that you know he just got caught off of an 80-man roster for a team and then would go to make a 53 are probably pretty slim. But he's like an ideal guy that you would have on your practice squad—a guy who can play fullback, some tight end, some H-back. Basically, he's potentially if Josiah DeGuara turns. Out to be what you know. Everyone's hoping him to be. He could be Josiah Deguara light a little bit, where he's you know, not quite as good, but he, you know able to do a lot of the same things. And if you have Deguara go out for a couple games, being able to pull that guy up off of your practice squad and really being able to use all of your same formations, all of your same plays, and not have to kind of change things up. A player like that on your practice squad does wonders. And I'm right with you with you know players like Evan Bayless, even a guy like Darius Shepard who you know spent some time on the, the roster as well as the practice you know the practice squad throughout last season. Uh, a player like KB Enanto, who was a wide receiver in college and now is a, you know, converted cornerback, spent the entire year on the practice squad last year, can be a special teams guy. You know, a guy like that on your practice squad has a lot of, you know, versatility and is somebody that's been in the locker room for a while now. So I think those type of players being able to stack your practice squad with, you know, as many uh, of the 16 as you can, I think is, is just going to help your depth. It's going to help your versatility and it's going to help you get through what promises to be a probably very critical crazy
0: season. And it seems like, you know, normally I think you have free agency as another option to turn to, but it seems like it's just a little bit more difficult, it's a little bit more cumbersome to get people in. You got to jump through a little more hurdles than normal to get somebody in the building. And so like I feel I feel like who you have on your roster and who you have on your practice squad is more than likely going to be who who you have through the season. Um, And I think the movement around is going to be pretty reduced And it. I don't know from what good said the other day, it does seem like that because maybe the rules will change, but, and they'll stay on top of it. Right. But it's going to be a lot less of picking up guys. And also on the flip side of that, less of someone's going to get snatched off our practice squad.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right.
2: Yeah, and I mean, we saw Brian Gutekunst kind of mention, you know, going back to that creativity of you don't have preseason games to evaluate the other rosters, right? So you kind of have either your pre-draft notes or your own scouting notes that you did for when a player does become available on the waiver wire, but you don't necessarily have your own glimpses at them live anymore. So even if you do bring a player in, who's to say whether or not that player actually fits what you're looking for them to do? So I think, you know, like a guy like Tremont might end up getting snatched Midway through the season, if a team is desperate for a player like that snacks, I mean, I think some of these guys could get signed um, before the season begins like a clay Matthews. It's kind of weird to think that these guys remained unsigned. And I think largely a lot of them will now that these restrictions have kind of been lifted. But, you know, I think Perry, to your point, absolutely who you have on your roster is kind of going to be that core and whoever is able to solidify that core, you know, and these are the guys that you're working with every day, too. So it's a lot harder now to bring in free agents and bring them up to speed given the restrictions on who you can practice with, who you can get close to, you know, Zadarius Smith in his presser talked about how the guys used to have like team dinners and team activities. And now you're limited to maybe the eight guys that are in your position room with you trying to get acclimated together. So kind of just the entire NFL landscape and the way that we even approach having a season everything just looks so different so you know i think that's kind of a nice segue into you know andy you had a really nice tweet earlier about um what this does for undrafted free agency right like the packers are notorious for being able to sign undrafted free agents and have them have long impactful careers in green bay perry's favorite jamon williams is on that list sam shields was your example. Even if we look back a couple seasons ago to Raven Green coming on, he was, you know, that guy to crack the 53. So thinking about, you know, the 53-man roster coming out of um, training camp in 2020 and what this means for some of those undrafted guys, you know, we already cut from 90 to 80, right? So there's already 10 players who theoretically could have been your next, you know, superstar that are not even on an NFL roster at this point. So if you could just elaborate on that, I thought that was such an excellent point.
1: Yeah. So first of all, I think you're missing a very important undrafted free agent. Um, I don't know if you want to go back and fix that I'm, I'm, sure you that meant, yep. I'm sure you meant to start with Tim Boyle and then Sam Shields and Raven Green and some of the other ones, but uh, no, point taken. Uh, and no, I do think that this is going to be something that is unfortunately, let me put this two different ways. I think You obviously look at the guys that already got cut. There's been three undrafted free agents that they signed that already got cut that didn't even get to use their first practice. Huge bummer, and it really, it sucks for those guys. No two ways about it. However, I will say that, you know, I'm usually somebody who really loves digging into the undrafted free agents every single year as soon as the draft gets done. I didn't do it this season, honestly, partially because of this, because I kind of felt like the odds that maybe some of these guys were going to get through and make the roster were slim. But when you go back and watch some of those, you know, or when I've watched these players in the past, you know that there's a handful of these guys just watching them that it, it's just not meant to be. Um, you know, the, it, it's really cool that they get that opportunity in camp, and you know, it's not to say that two, three years down the road that they couldn't add functional strength or you know do something better and, and things like that. But you know, their odds of making an NFL roster were very slim to begin with. My guess is the two or three guys that got you know released, unfortunately, were probably a little bit closer to being in that group. So what I'll say about the rest of the undrafted free agents is a little bit of a. Um, a good news, bad news type scenario. so the the bad news is that I think their odds of making the fifty three man roster go down exponentially. I think the, you know, and the, the tweet that uh, that you mentioned earlier was, you know, basically me saying, you know, go back to Sam Shields' season. If, if that had been uh, the the pandemic season where uh, Sam Shields came in as an undrafted free agent, trying to make the transition from wide receiver to corner with no mini camp OTA and a limited training camp, no preseason, does he even make the team? And if he doesn't, or if he's not the same guy, does that Packers team even win the Super Bowl? So, I mean, these are players that can obviously have a tremendous impact on your team um, I think Green Bay is a team and ha- that has had success with these players and I think that's unfortunately for this upcoming season something that they they may lose that Avenue a little bit now, on the flip side, the good news for these players is that you go back just a couple of years, and this was an eight-man practice squad. So you took a, take a look at an eight-man practice squad with a fifty-three-man roster. Um, there was not a ton of opportunity for these players uh, to, to even make it past that first fifty-three. You know, you may have had to wait midway or towards the end of season until guys got called up after all the injuries for you to get your call back to the practice squad to try to get back on. I think a lot of these guys are going to have a huge opportunity to be part of that 16, you know, man practice squad towards the end of camp, especially for guys that maybe they feel that have that potential, but they didn't get a fair shake, you know, because there was no preseason. Um, I think that's going to be something that's going to be very important for those type of players. So, um, you know, for those two or three guys each year that usually make the 53, you know, that's that's a bummer that like, I don't think they're gonna see that impact. But I think for the majority of them, the guys that are still left at this point, if you can make it kind of through this this first initial wave and make it through practices and things like that, I think you actually could be in an advantage that you're actually at least gonna make the team in some capacity.
0: That's such a good point, because there really are I mean it all of it seems just sucky a little bit, but there are some pros to the situation and one of them being I think Maggie and I both agree on this is the expanded practice squad it gives you that reserve of players like we were discussing earlier that you know you can call up if like if someone gets hurt or gets sick but it also expands to allow You know new guys or additional guys to latch on like you said who may not have made it previously and i think in this year specifically like that expansion is one of the things the nfl has done that i've loved um because it does allow for that opportunity and it also it i think it might seem counterproductive to keep more people in the building because we want as little people as possible but i think it is a really good if everyone's staying safe and they're quarantining properly i think it it's kind of the best of both worlds right there with you
2: yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, if you look at the expanded practice squad, it almost, in its own weird way, becomes each team's individualized bubble where, you know, I don't know if they're going to start doing something where the practice squad maybe practices outside of where the 53 is practicing. You know, the Packers could use uh, Rendishki Field and the Don Hudson Center, you know, indoor-outdoor, however they wanted to do it. I think kind of that dynamic of splitting things up, you know, they had talked with Matt LaFleur about whether or not he would consider having a quarterback kind of quarantine. And so they always have somebody ready. Um, so there are just a lot of different variables, I think, you know, kind of dependent on what does happen, you know, with the, the 53 and then with that expanded practice squad. But I'm not sure if you, you know, you said that you didn't do a ton of research on the undrafted guys, but is there anybody in particular that you would have in a regular season been like, Hey, I think this is the player, the one or two guys that everybody should keep an eye on because they maybe have, the best shot at making that original
1: 53. Yeah, I think there's a couple players. So I think the one that's probably been most talked about has been, and I I'm butchering his name. I know that, but Tepa Galea, and I think it's said completely different, but um, (laughs) I know different. I'm going to keep calling him that, but you know, you take a look at him and I had a chance to watch a little bit of his all 22 from Utah state. Um, I was kind of, you know, when I was watching some of Jordan Loves, I just decided to watch some of the defensive side as well and see what I could pick up from him and really liked what he put on tape. I think he had uh, a couple off field issues, but um, I-, I think you look at what he could potentially bring. I think outside of the top three, he has as much talent as any other outside linebacker on the team. So uh, I think he could easily be somebody that makes that practice squad. Or if there was one undrafted free agent that maybe does make the active 53, I think he could potentially be in that conversation, especially when you look at the fact that beyond the the Smiths and Rashawn Gary, you know, there's not really – a a guaranteed player that's going to be that number four edge rusher you know you would think Jonathan Garvin would probably get a little bit of a nudge as a seventh round draft choice but overall that's going to be something to keep an eye on and then I really like the three corners as well Um, you take a look at Stanford Samuels Will Sunderland Mark Antoine Decoy all three very different type of cornerbacks Um, Sunderland and Samuels if if memory serves I don't think either of them ran the 40 very well uh, which probably bounced them out of uh, draftable range but really liked what what they put on tape and then Mark Antoine Decoy, I'm not even going to pretend like I've seen any of his tape at all from Canada. (laughs) But uh, just hearing what he has to bring to the table, sounds like he's very athletic, um, has some traits. I, I heard a couple people who watched him that said that he could be one of the best undrafted free agents um, in this class. So you just have three very different corners, all that maybe would have been drafted if they were in a little bit of a different scenario. And then uh, Teepa as a, you know, uh, I linebacker edge rusher who I think is on par with anyone outside of the top three. So those are kind of the, the ones that I'm mostly keeping an eye on.
2: Yeah. So you know, I know that he was a drafted player and Perry and I just wrapped our safeties episode, but wanted to get your quick thoughts on Vernon Scott as well, because yeah. the more I watch him, you know, six, two, he's kind of a unique body type for a safety, but I'm really intrigued by a lot of what he does. And there's almost no film on the guy, right? Like I think he was another one of those players that suffered from kind of the the pandemic before it truly was the pandemic, right? Like he didn't get to have a pro day. So there's just not a lot that we know about him, but Given kind of the versatility that I think he brings to the defense, I'm I'm very intrigued by what he can do.
1: Did you? I don't know if you've had a chance to watch too much of him, but was there a player that he reminded you of at all? A former Packer?
2: Not for me, specifically
1: for me. He reminded me a little bit of Morgan Burnett, just his okay. size and his um his ability to play at safety, ability to play in the box a little bit. <laughs> I don't think he had some of that savvy that Morgan Burnett had. Um, I don't think he's quite as um, you know. Built from a technique standpoint to kind of handle the full rigors of an NFL season, yet I think he has some work to be done. But I, it would not surprise me at all if if he's up to speed quick enough that if he wasn't the the Raven Green backup, um, if if something were to happen to Raven Green in that safety linebacker hybrid role, because I think he can do a lot of the same things. So there were a couple plays of him on tape that you went, you know, holy crap, you you flashed on tape and uh, you really liked what you saw. And then like a play later, he'd give up a big play and you're like, okay, now I see the seventh round and why that's where you were selected. But, um, I mean, what you want to see in those situations is that he has the ability to do it. You're not looking for a finished product, especially in the seventh round. So the fact that he had those flash plays on tape, that he could cover tight ends, running backs out of the backfield, that he could play some safety, play some hybrid linebacker, show up in coverage, show up in the running game. Uh, the fact that he was able to do that. And I think he has the ability to be a key player on special teams as well. Um, that, that's how you make an initial roster. That's how you make an initial impact. And then that's how you can kind of get recognized down the line. And if you're a late seventh round pick, you want to have some of those traits that give you, again, that versatility and ways to get on the field. And I think he has those. So I think that can be kind of his building block. And then down the road, potentially be one of those players that, again, has the ability to be flexible and play a couple of those different positions. Yeah,
2: no, I agree 100%. And so we have one more question and Perry doesn't know I'm asking this. And I agree with you that everything kind of blurs together uh, when Perry and I do happy hour and packs what she said. So I don't remember where we initially had this conversation, but I wanted your opinion on my Tim Boyle comp. I think it was happy hour. It was. Yeah. So I compared Tim Boyle to journeyman quarterback, Josh McCown. Because I think that he can have a realistic, long-term career in the NFL, even if he's never somebody's face of their franchise. I think that you could call on him at any given moment. He has the arm talent. He has the overall quarterback knowledge that you would look for as somebody to kind of lead your room. Um, and I think he'd just be a reliable QB2 on any roster while he you know, has a career in the NFL. So I hope that does not offend you, Andy. But that is my, uh, that's my Tim Boyle comp, and I'm, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on that.
1: No, I mean, first of all, I think if you would even probably tell Tim Boyle that he would have a Josh McCartney <laughs> career, I mean, especially coming in as an undrafted guy who had arguably one of the worst college careers of any quarterback <laughs> in college football history, yes. that's be real, um, you know, I think he would probably take that. Um, I, I think the biggest thing with Tim is going to be what does he look like when he actually gets his chance? Yeah. So. Um, I I think uh, Perry and Alex and I talked about this on Monday. It's a little bit every player in the league is a little bit like, you know, you are a brand new vehicle that's still on the lot. And until you are driven off and until you actually get the opportunity to have a driver and like (laughs) see what you can do, you have a ton of value. And, you know, there's this kind of idea of it's this bright, shiny new vehicle and it could do anything. And then, you know, as soon as it gets off the lot, you actually have to perform and it kind of loses value a little bit because inevitably you're going to make some mistakes. And it, then you kind of have to see, all right, what is this, you know, in this case, this quarterback made of? And I think for Tim, you know, there's this kind of unknown wild card attribute about him right now of, You know, in preseason and in in practice, we've seen some of these traits. You know, Brian Gutekunst went out of his way to praise Tim and the development that he's made um, over the last couple seasons. I don't think it's – I mean, he had to do – he had to be something pretty pretty impressive in order to beat out, you know, Brett Hundley two years ago to the point where they were going to trade. But when Hundley had played the entire season the year before, basically – for green bay and then the next year i mean brian Gutekunst's first move as gm was uh trading for deshaun kaiser like that was his first move so to have this undrafted free agent that's going to beat out for the backup quarterback spot the guy that you went out and made your first move for like he had to do something to show like all right this is the guy now A part of that is just Deshaun and Brett weren't that good. Um, Part of it is, too, that he went out and he performed well. So uh, I think for him, it's going to be, you know, can he do some of the little things well? Um, You know, even in some of the preseason games where he's looked good, you know, he's, he's had some issues with accuracy and he's had some issues with his mechanics where the ball can go a little bit awry. I love to death his aggressiveness, but he has to also tone that back. and he's the he'll be the first one to tell you that that he needs he knows that he needs to take care of the football one a. So I think for him, you know with Josh McCown, You know, he came in as a backup in multiple different seasons. He started some seasons. And while he was never the wow guy, he showed you that he could come in and win some football games, maybe go three and three in a six game stretch, which is what you want out of your backup quarterback. And do I think Tim has the ability to do that? You know, absolutely. I think he does. But I think it's going to be until we see him on the field for the first time. He's got all the intangible stuff, like the stuff that he does in the locker room, you know, mirroring Rogers to try to figure out what he does in press conferences, um, how he breaks the huddle, how he, you know, his cadence, everything, like all the intangibles are there, but you still have to go out and show it on the field. But no offense taken, I promise. (laughs)
0: You're really a Tim Boyle truther. (laughs) You know,
1: yes, I know that's uh, said obviously in jest, but here's the the, the thing with Tim. So, and I think people sometimes like can misconstrue um, either like one that I'm speaking tongue in cheek or that like be that I think like Tim Boyle is amazing. Like (laughs) my... My thought on Tim Boyle when I first saw him was this is a undrafted free agent quarterback who was in the same room as Deshaun Kaiser, a second round pick, Brett Humley, who had just played the previous full season for Green Bay, and Aaron Rodgers, arguably, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And when I'm watching him on the field at his very first practice, I'm like – this guy just looks the part. He has it. If I didn't know, you know, just from a demeanor, not what he was actually doing in the field, but if I didn't know which one was the starting quarterback, I could have easily said, just based on demeanor alone, Tim looks like the the guy that's the starting quarterback out there. So when I'm comparing it to the guy who had this awful college career, <laughs> was a former top high school prospect um, didn't get drafted wasn't even invited to any of the main like you know combine or post bowl games or anything like that. I was super excited because I saw a raw talent where you know you don't expect anything out of that guy at that point at all you're not expecting anything so I was excited when I first saw him because I thought they might actually have something now again what he beca- he's already way outperformed expectations so, you know, in that regard, that's what I was kind of originally excited about that I thought that this could be a player that instead of being nothing could actually be something. And now three years later, he's still vying for the backup quarterback job in Green Bay. And I think that's a pretty cool story. So do I think he's the next top 15 quarterback? No, that's probably not going to happen. But I think it's yeah. a cool story.
0: I think I think it's interesting perceptions of drafted versus undrafted. Like, I feel this similarly with Alan Lazard. Like, I just yeah. find that he's so undervalued simply because he's an undrafted free agent and not because of what he can bring to the table. And I think that that, you know, undrafted free agent status just has this like kind of cloud over certain players. And some people in the, you know, football sphere just can't see past it for whatever reason.
1: It Um, goes both ways too. I mean, you look at AJ Hawk, right? So he, did he ever live up to a top five pick? You know, no. And he could never, you know, get over that, that top five pick moniker of everyone was expecting a, a Brian Urlacher or Derek Brooks or a Lance Briggs or something like that and he was never that guy but he was what a 10-year linebacker who played consistently helped Green Bay win a lot of football games and I just think I think sometimes as soon as a player's on the team you're almost better to just forget how you acquired them just base it on what they're doing on the field it doesn't matter if you're undrafted a second round pick if they trade for him if they gave a huge free agent signing you're trying to build a team of overall talented players and all of these guys are like a slight degree of difference in talent um sometimes it's opportunity sometimes it's position but yeah I'm 100% with you Perry I I think you know so so many people get fixated on where somebody was drafted or not drafted just let them be who they are
0: I am with you I think clean slate as soon as they step onto the field yeah. And I mean, I,
2: I think that's kind of like the whole argument for everything that we talked about today, right? Is you have college football players who some of them are desperate for that one opportunity to prove that, you know, they know that they might not make a 53-man roster right away, but give them a little bit of time on a practice squad, like Perry says in Alan Lazard. And then you see that development. So, you know, what happens is not how the player gets to your team. Like to your point, Andy, it's what they do when they have that opportunity. And, you know Alan Lazard was cut before he made the 53 man roster last season brought back on the day later. And now look at, he's, you know, going into the next season as wide receiver too. So I think all of those variables just kind of go to show that it's not necessarily, you know, it's not what you do when you start. It's what you do when you get that, that first opportunity.
1: And how many times is the, the first, you know, pick on you that you had for that season, the guy that actually ends up being the best player from that draft or that off season, like it's incredibly rare. Like you, yes, you have your Aaron Rodgers years, your Kenny Clark years and things like that. But like Aaron Jones was the, probably the best player, you know, from his draft class and he was taken one in the fifth, uh, fifth round. Um, you know, so, you know, Josh Jones, Montrevious Adams, Vince Beagle, Jamal Williams, D'Angelo Yancey all went before him. Um, and you get Aaron Jones in the fifth round, you know? So as soon as it's done, it's almost just worth forgetting about it. And who cares like what order you get it in? If you get three good players from a, a draft class, it doesn't really matter if, if the guy in the first round panned out. And that's why, you know, even th- this off season is a perfect example of that. And when Jordan Love was selected, everyone's like, oh, it's this huge waste of a draft pick and like, The Packers have selected Dayton Jones and Derek (laughs) Sherrod and, you know, uh, Demarius Randall. And, you know, you can go on and on and on, Justin Harrell. And this has not affected, you know, Green Bay being a successful franchise because they've had really good second and third and fourth round draft picks to, you know, kind of make up for some of that. So try to get three good guys from either the draft or undrafted free agency. Hopefully one of them at minimum is a, a Pro Bowl caliber type player. And that's what you try to do. And again, forget where they were picked as soon as it's done. It doesn't matter anymore.
2: Yeah. Could not have said it any better. I think that that's the perfect way to kind of wrap the show. So... Andy, we cannot thank you enough for coming on Packs what she said. This was an absolutely fantastic conversation. We love every time that we get to either have you on or talk with you, whether it's a book club that is now an exclusive <laughs> club that nobody else is allowed to join.
1: The first rule um, of book club is don't talk about book club, maybe.
2: Yeah, so now I'm going to get kicked out of book club. But <laughs> And then Perry has you every other Monday. So Andy, we kind of gave you, I guess, you know, a, a decent intro at the end at the beginning of the show, but, if the people want to follow your work on social media, how can they get in touch with you and read all of your amazing content?
1: Yeah. You can just follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL and I'll post the rest of my stuff there. So you can just have a one-stop shop instead of (laughs) having to read off way too many things that I do. Uh, But no, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was so much fun and I would uh, love to be, I would love to invite myself back at any
0: time. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like I said, you're always welcome. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Perry, how can the people find you on social media?
0: Um, you can follow me at Perry underscore Goldstein, follow the podcast at PWSS podcast. Um, you can follow Maggie and I every Monday night on ha- game on Wisconsin happy hour. Um, and like Maggie said, every other Monday with the one and only Andy Herman on Pack a day podcast.
2: Yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at Maggie J Loney. I write two articles a week for Cheesehead TV podcast every Thursday with Nick and Jacob on the Pack a day podcast. Uh, podcast once a week with the lovely Perry Goldstein on Packs What She Said and have happy hour with Perry because, you know, I, there's just never enough Perry in my life or Packers. So it's a nice little bundle. So thank you, as always, for listening to Packs What She Said. This was an absolute blast. Andy, you remain our favorite. Go, Packo. Go, Packo.
0: Go, Packo. Go. Go pack, go. And go.